So over the past few weeks, we've been in a series called All In This Together, and we've been focusing on just an incredible chapter of the Bible, Isaiah 40. And so if you have your Bibles or a Bible app, if you wouldn't mind opening up to Isaiah 40, we're going to be looking at a large section of that today as we wrap up this series. Uh, Just as a reminder, we, we started this series by looking at the beginning and the end of this chapter, and it starts with comfort and it ends with strength, and then packed full in the middle is, is anticipation of a coming Messiah. So this, this scripture was first written to some people who were get, about to be taken captive by the Babylonians, and they were going to suffer under the hands of their captors. But the beauty and the power of scripture is that it also delivers a very timely message to us today. This is why we say that Scripture is living and active. It's, it's the very words from God for the people at the time of writing and also for us today. So in week one, we, we started off by talk, talking about and acknowledging that we sort of have this collective weariness, that, that we are tired together. And we were reminded that in our weariness, to lean into the truth that we already know about God and to lean into the truth that we already know about ourselves. And we said that we need to take hold of the hope that we have, which is, is spelled out for us in verse 31. It says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. So our hope is in the Lord. And we believe that, that when we hope in him, he will bring us strength. Now, I don't know about you all, but I have been really weary lately. Very tired And I need his strength because I can't make it on my own or with my own strength. I need his strength. In week two of this series, we talked about how we need to listen together. That that before we speak, before we throw our voice into the, the myriad of voices that are out there trying to tell us everything that we need to do and how we need to be, that we need to to stop and listen and be listening to the tender voice of God. Let me just ask you this. How have you been doing with that? Have you been listening to God? I think it's so easy for us to pray and speak a lot of words, but are we listening? Have we been listening to God? And and are we taking in his word? You know, he's already spoken. Are we reading his word? We were reminded in that message that we can have peace with God because our pardon is secured and because payment has been made through the person that Isaiah said was coming And that person, of course, is Jesus. And then last week we said that once we hear the message from God, once we hear the gospel message, we believe it, we live it, we listen to it, we are listening to the tender voice of God, that then then we can speak together. And uh, we can speak together a message from God. And Isaiah gave us a message uh, that all life is beautiful, but it is fragile. That God holds our life and our death in his hand and that we can trust his word completely. And we zeroed in on verse 8 of chapter 40, which says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. And so today, when, as we're wrapping up this series, we want to cover the remaining verses that we haven't really gone over. And like I said, it's a large section, verses 9 through 26. But hopefully it's going to help us go where we want to be. And that is to be renewed together. To renewed together. And in our broken world full of Anger and hostility toward God and toward all that is good in our world full of corruption and stress and busyness and frustrations. His people, we need renewal, don't we? 
We need strength to keep on living the life that we know he has called us to live. We need wisdom to know when to speak and when to listen. We need what this chapter promises that we can have, and that is renewed strength. So let's look at our passage today and discover how we can get there. So follow along with me. This, this is just an incredible passage. And there's a lot in it. I, I would ask you to uh, read it this week some more because we're not going to be able to take in all of it today. But let's start in verse 9 and go through 26. It says this. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And then we're going to read a series of rhetorical questions here. Starting in verse 12, it says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Where with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in, the bucket, in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless, as less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned, enthroned above the circle of the earth. And its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Man, what an incredible passage. What an awesome display of his power and might in these, in these verses. Again, read through them this week and, and look through some of these questions that he asks and the answer to that question is always, no one. Who taught him this stuff? No one. This is our God. These verses remind me a lot of, of the end of uh, the book of Job. So if you remember in, in Job, uh, Job lost everything. He had all of this terrible stuff happen to him. And then his friends come along and they try to, 
tell him why all this bad stuff happened to him, why it was really all Job's fault is what they're saying, which was not the case. It's not true. But Job didn't buy into their jaded theology. And, and that's why I, I would caution you from just like opening up your Bible and, and just opening up to Job and just reading random verses. Because if you're not careful, you get some really bad advice. Because what it is in sections of this book is, is Job's friends telling him really bad and stupid things, giving him bad advice. And so if you read that, you might be like, oh, this is the word of God and this is true. Well, you, you need to read the Bible in context, okay? In context. It is the word of God, but he's, uh, they're quoting from some people who are being dumb at that time in some of these verses. So anyway, all of this is happening to him. And, and eventually Job starts to complain too. And you and I would, we would be complaining as well if we were in his situation. He starts complaining about all the bad things that have happened in his life, all the misfortunes. And finally, God responds to his complaints. And and again, you ought to read chapter 38 through 41. But we read starting in verse, in chapter 38, verse 2, God speaks. And he starts off by saying this. He says, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge. And I love this part. He says, brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. That's not a question you want God asking you or telling you, right? (laughs) Brace yourself. Oh boy, here we go, right? And then for the next four chapters, God puts Job in his place. God starts asking these questions that really help Job understand where he stands in relation to a holy and almighty and powerful God. And if you like sarcasm, you you would love these these chapters because I I read them with a sarcastic tone. (laughs) Like, listen to the next two verses. Again, this is God speaking. He says to Job, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? And again, for, for several chapters longer, it's, it's like this type of God sticking it to Job, right? And what we see in these next few chapters of Job, though, much like here in Isaiah chapter 40, is a God who reigns sovereign and supreme. It, it is a God who is showing himself, showing his might and his power. And I think what was happening in Job's life is what needed to happen to, in the lives of God's people who, who were about to face judgment in Isaiah's time. And it's also what needs to happen in our lives today for us to, to be renewed together. You see, for, for renewal to happen, first there needs to be a revealing and then a seeing. A revealing and a seeing. Like when you see something so amazing and incredible, when something like that is revealed, we need to see it right? And not just see it, but stop and fix our gaze upon it. It deserves, it commands our attention. Think of it like this. You know, you may have had this experience where you're driving and you're paying attention to everything around there, but no one else in the car is. And and so as you're driving, you see maybe the most beautiful sunset or an incredible scenic overlook or, or you see some other amazing natural wonder. And so you want, you want to just tell the rest of the car, right? Everyone in the car, you go, you go look, look, you got to see this. It's so beautiful. The sunset is incredible. That waterfall over there or the ocean or this, this overlook, it's just incredible. Look at those mountains. And the person in the back of the, the vehicle is just like staring at their phone. And they're like, 
Yeah, nice. And then they go back to playing Roadblocks or Candy Crush or whatever they're playing. And you're like, come on. Like, you need to see this. Like, your phone can wait. You need to, you need to see this. You need to take it in. You need to be in awe. You need to see this. It is beautiful. I think too often we are so busy living our lives or we get very distracted by all the stuff in our lives that we miss the beauty around us. We miss the moment. And when it comes to seeing the glory of God, God is the one who's doing the revealing. But we've got to be the ones that do the seeing. Please understand, God is. He is doing the revealing. The trouble comes with us. The trouble comes with our eyes. The trouble comes with our spiritual blindness. I think that's why the Apostle Paul pleaded with the people in Ephesus. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He goes on, he says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. In other words, Paul is saying, open your eyes. Open your eyes and see the power and the strength and the might of our God and see it in Jesus. And although Isaiah was speaking about seven to 800 years before the birth of Christ, that's what Isaiah was talking about as well, the the coming of Christ. That is what is being revealed and that is what we need to see. Again, God is doing the revealing. He does the revealing But we get to, and we need to, we have to do the seeing. So notice what Isaiah says again in verse 9. He says, say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Here is your God. And it's like he wants to put him on display. And then he goes on to describe this incredible God he wants for us to fully see. Twice in verse 10, he says the word see, see. Some translations say behold. It's probably a better translation. Behold. It's a little more descriptive of what we are to be doing. Behold our God. Be be captivated by our God. See him. See our God. Verse 10. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his great reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. It's like Isaiah is, is pleading with us. God has revealed himself. He's he's revealed himself to us. Now behold him. Look at him. Know who he is. If we could just get a true glimpse of this incredible God, it would strengthen us. You know, I often pray for my daughters that they would come to know God more. They would come to know him more completely. And then I follow it, I'll say something like, God, I pray that, that, that my daughters, they would come to know you more completely and that they would love you more, they would obey you more, and they would follow you completely with their lives. And so I want them to know God. And I don't want it just just be a head knowledge. Yes, they need to have a head knowledge of who God is. But I want them to know him in such a way that they fall more in love with him. Like if they really knew who God was, then they would, they would love him. And then if they, when they love him, that they would obey him and they would follow him completely with their lives. If they would just know him, though, 
I know it would change their lives. And I, I believe that for us as well. If we could just know God, if we really knew him, his power, his might, his heart, it would change everything about us. In this chapter, just like in the last chapter of Job, we're, we're getting much more than a glimpse of God though. We're getting a, an up-close view of the glory of God. That's what we're told in, in verse 5. It says, And the glory of God will be revealed, and all people will see it together. Can you imagine the day when the whole earth, every living person on the earth, will look up and see the glory of God together? Revelation 7 describes a scene like this. It says, after this, the apostle John is seeing this, and, and he sees the scene. He says, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That's Jesus. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And you read that and go, what a unifying moment that will be. People from every tribe nation, people, and language. You know, when it seems like all around us, we look around and it seems like there are so many attempts to divide us everywhere we turn, we are united under the power and might and grace and salvation that comes from Jesus. So what is it that we will unite for and we will see? What will all people see together? Well, living on this side of the cross, we, we know that there's something that we will all unite and see, something that will unite us all. For, for the good or for some, it will be for the bad. And it's the coming of Christ, or really the, for us, the second coming of Christ. Revelation 1.7 says, Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. And these words echo this messianic prophecy of Isaiah 40, which says, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. Now, we may not be able to, to see a full, the, the full glory of God at this time. We, we won't be able to see the full glory of God right now. You might remember when Moses asked to see the glory of God, and God was like, well, you can't see my glory and actually live. But God has revealed himself to us. Through, through his word, through what has been created, and his ultimate revealing of himself is through Jesus. Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus is the exact representation of God. Meaning everything that God is, Jesus is. John said that the word became flesh. That God took on human flesh and we were able to see his glory in Jesus. Paul said in Colossians 1 that God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Christ. And Jesus even said about himself in John 14 that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. God has revealed himself. But are we beholding? Are we seeing? This passage helps us to see some incredible things about God. We get to see, we need to see his great love. We see that in this passage. So in the midst of, of this display of God's power and might all throughout this chapter, is tucked in this little verse that I love, verse 11. It says that he tends to his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Most of you know Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm, starting off with, the Lord is my shepherd. 
He is like a shepherd who pulls us in close and cares for us, gently leading us. In the New Testament, Jesus would call himself the good shepherd, the good shepherd who loves and cares for us. And so if you need someone to lean on in your exhaustion, look to Jesus. If you need someone to hold you in your brokenness, look to Jesus. If you need strength for your journey, look to Jesus. If you need to be renewed in your spirit, look to Jesus. We also see in this passage that we need to see his great power. And so Isaiah shows that, that, that God is mighty, exalted, creative, powerful. I love these verses that speak of his, his creative power, his infinite intelligence. Just listen to some of these verses again from Isaiah 40. Verse 10 says, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. Verse 12, he asks, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens. It's like he, he just, oh, you need an ocean? Let me just pour that out for you from my hand. Right? That's the image we're getting. Who has held the dust of, a, of the earth in a basket? Oh, you need some land? Let me just pour that out of this little basket. That's the image we're getting. Right? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance. Like, oh, a mountain doesn't weigh much to our God. I'll just put it on the scale. Right? That's the the imagery we're getting of the power and might of our God. Verse 17, he says, Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. Now, this doesn't mean he doesn't care. Like that, That doesn't mean that they're regarded by him as worthless, as in he doesn't care. It's talking about in comparison to God, the nations are just nothing. You think that that empire is so powerful. It has nothing on our God. Verse 22 Isaiah says that he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. The creative power of our God. He rules and reigns with his great power. I love what Peter proclaimed in the New Testament then about Jesus, showing him to be powerful. 2 Peter 1.16 says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And so if you need a strong tower to run to, look to Jesus. If you need, to be, you need renewed power to get you through today, look to Jesus. If you need a mighty hand to pick you up, it's no problem for him. Look to Jesus. Then finally, we need to see his great reward. The second part of verse 10 says, See, His reward is with him. And his recompense, that means his reward or his repayment, his recompense accompanies him. I love the the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. It echoes these words from Isaiah. We read Jesus saying this. He says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And what, the, what a reward that will be for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. We will be rewarded by him, but it's more than just a reward of heaven. We will be rewarded with him, with him. He is our prize. He is the reward of our faith. We will be rewarded with Jesus for all of eternity in all of his glory. I love 
the question that God asked in verse 25 of Isaiah 40. He said, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. It reminds me of that, that song we sing, What a Beautiful Name, I think is the name of it. It says, you have no rival. You have no equal. Right? The answer is simple to this question. To whom will you compare me? Nobody. You are incomparable. Who is my equal? Who is my rival? Nobody. He has no rival. He has no equal. And he has revealed enough of his glory for us to know and see that today. He has revealed enough of his glory to know that we can have a renewed strength in serving and trusting in him. We can rely on his strength when we need that renewed strength. But one day, we just get a glimpse today of his glory and it's enough. But one day we will see his glory in all of its fullness. And scripture says, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so whether you bow willingly or you bow when you see him in his fullness and can't help but bow, we will all bow. I pray that we bow willingly though today and that we rely on his strength to renew our strength. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are an amazing God full of power and might and strength, all-knowing. <laughs> Your wisdom is beyond our comprehension. Your knowledge is beyond what we could ever grasp. At your word, creation comes into being. That's how powerful you are, that just at your word, things happen. Something comes from nothing. And God, this chapter of the Bible has been just such a powerful chapter in Isaiah 40. It reminds us of how weak we are, of how frail we are, of how fragile our life is. And many of us in here today are feeling like our lives are falling apart in some way or another. We're feeling weak. We're feeling tired. We're feeling weary. And we can't do it on our own. We can't make it through today on our own strength. And then we get to read of your strength. We read of your might and power. And we read that you hold us in your arms. That you give us the strength to go the next step. You give us the strength to face the next challenge. You give us the strength. You give us your hand pick us up when we fall flat on our faces. God, I pray that you would renew our strength today. That we would hope in you and you alone. We thank you for the promise of your word. We thank you for the fulfillment of your word in Jesus. We thank you for your glory and we thank you for the day that we will get to see your glory in all of its fullness. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And so this morning, uh, you know, again, if you've been here for a little while, we've been 
kind of changing the way we want to do our response time, just trying to keep things a little bit spaced out. If you have a decision to make about Jesus, if you have, maybe it's a decision to trust in him for the first time, repent of your sin and follow through with baptism, or maybe it's just a need for prayer today, Piper, our elementary minister, she's going to be in the preschool room during this song and a little after the service. And, and, and I would encourage you to, to go to her and talk with her. Um, reach out to, to one of the staff this week. Reach out to a, a trusted Christian friend. Whatever it is you need to do, uh, we want to give you, though, that opportunity to respond. So if you have a decision to make, uh, just head on over to the, the preschool room and we'll, we would love to walk you through that next step. Will you stand and sing?